Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Matthew chapter 5, and we will begin reading in verse 1. The word of the Lord reads, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and he sat down. His disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall... Be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. The 19th century um, Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon once wrote, God's mercy is so great that you may sooner drain the sea of its water or deprive the sun of its light or make space too narrow to diminish the great mercy of God. This morning, I want to welcome you back to part four of our series on the Beatitudes titled Hashtag Blessed. And in this series, we have been talking about what it means to be truly happy, what it means to be blessed. And in the first week, we talked about the fact that we all, every one of us, want to be happy. Even people who seem perpetually unhappy really down deep want to be happy. Every one of us. But uh, what we discovered is permanent happiness is not found in anything that the world has to offer us. It's not in money. It's not found in marriage. It's not found in somebody's celebrity status. It's not found in a career. It's not even found in your children uh, or friendships or power or hobbies or work or possessions or popularity or anything else the world has to offer. None of those things will produce in you the long-term happiness that you crave, the, the, the happiness that we all crave. The kind of happiness that we are all looking for is only found in one place. And that's in a personal, up-close relationship with God. That is what we hunger for. Right? And Jesus promises we can have that kind of happiness. That kind of happiness is available to those who follow him. Jesus calls that happiness makarios. It's the Greek word which means happy or fortunate. It also means to be in enviable position, but it means blessed or supremely blessed is probably the best rendering. And Jesus tells us that we can be deeply happy like this, that we can be supremely blessed. But like we said, this blessing is not found in money or in power or in stuff. It's not found in hobbies or sports or, um, or work. It's not found in anything at all in this world. This kind of happiness is found in only the things of heaven. In fact, Jesus assures us in Matthew chapter 5, he gives us this list of attitudes that we are to have towards God that would give us the happiness we so desperately desire. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed, truly happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. 
Blessed are those, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus says, supremely blessed, deeply happy are those who exhibit these attitudes which at first blush really seem strange to us. Um, I don't know about you, but it seems like the opposite of the stuff that I would think would make me happy. Because uh, I'm personally inclined to believe that blessed are you if everybody likes you and doesn't have anything negative to say about you. But here Jesus says, blessedness, happiness lies in exhibiting um, the attitudes of being poor in spirit, mourning and being meek and being persecuted. He says, blessedness, true happiness comes from having these right heart attitudes before God. It's about having the right perspective of who you are in light of who God is. And with that, we begin to look at the statements in their context and to to see if this was the truth. And what we discovered is, yes, that's exactly the truth. In verse 3, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus is saying by that is that those who understand that they are spiritually broken and bankrupt, that they bring nothing into the relationship with God. There's not anything you can do to make God love you. There's not anything you can do to make God accept you. Right? Blessed is is the one who understands that you're completely dependent upon God. And that God will reward that person with the kingdom of heaven, not because they've done anything to deserve it, but because God, by his grace, gives it to them. And then in verse 4, he said, Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin, because that sorrow leads to repentance. They're blessed because they are comforted with the knowledge that they their sins are forgiven past, present, and future. <clears throat> and then in verse 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And Jesus, as we discovered, is not saying that, that, that being blessed means that you have to be weak and unable to stand up for yourself. What he's saying is, is those who are willing to set aside their power and their willingness, that they're willing to restrain themselves in meekness for God's sake and for God's glory. Those people are truly blessed. And then last week we looked at verse 6 where it said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And what we discovered is that this hunger for righteousness is a God-given hunger. It's a God-given need to be merciful and to become pure in heart and make peace. Not because we start out that way, not because we're inclined to be that way, but because our life-saving relationship with God changes us and instills into us a deep-seated need for those things because we have a deep-seated need for God. Now, with that, I realized that was a a very quick review of a lot of ground that we've covered. And we did cover a lot of ground the last few weeks. And so if you're new here or if you haven't been here for a couple of weeks, uh, I want to encourage you. um, You can get caught up by either going to our SoundCloud page or our church website. The the address is in your bulletin. and, and you will act, this conversation will probably make a lot more sense because, again, we covered a lot of ground and we've really laid a lot of uh, foundational work in context for this, for this series. And so, um, but today, we're going to be looking at the next beatitude in this list. And it's Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, where Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, <clears throat> I want to be upfront with you today because this is going to be one of those messages. <laughs> um, it's going to be one of those messages that will probably make a number of us very uncomfortable. It'll probably make some of you squirm. In fact, some of you might even go on. Oh, I didn't want to hear that today. Okay. 
But that's okay. Because this is a message that we all need to hear. This is a message that we need to take to heart. This is a message we need to actually take and apply to our lives. In fact, let me just tell you something right now. We talk about changing the, uh, the world. We talk about changing our community. We talk about changing our families. We talk about changing our own lives all the time. But I want you to hear me. Nothing will change the world or your community or your lives faster than applying this message to, to your lives. If we do what the Bible says to do here, our world will change. Our community will change. Our families will change for the better permanently. Right? And that right here makes this then worth hearing this message. And seriously considering applying it to our lives. Even if it's really hard. Even if it's really uncomfortable. This particular verse actually exposes in all of us a contradiction in our lives. Right? In fact, most Christians live with this contradiction as well. And the contradiction that that, that we live with is this. We all want to be happy. Every one of us. But at the same time, we also want to nurse our grudges. We all want to be happy, right? But we still want to simmer in and continue to nurse, you know, that bitterness and anger towards certain people. Tell me I'm wrong. I think you all know what I'm talking about. I mean, they're, they're, they're just certain people who always seem to steal your thunder at work, right? There are certain people who's always trash-talking you, at least directly or indirectly, on Facebook, right? Certain people who have hurt you deeply or hurt your family deeply. That one person who always seems to have it out for you. That person who walked out on you in your life, right? There are people in your lives that have inclu- inflicted all kinds of, of hurt in your life. And, 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 some, and some of these hurts and some of these grievances are petty, right? But some of the hurts are, are brutal and crushing. Some of them are ancient history, but some of them are very recent and maybe even still ongoing. But we all have people in our lives who have hurt us or continue to hurt us. And our natural instinct is to be angry and bitter and to build up walls. Our natural instinct is to, to not let things go, but instead, in, but instead our instinct is to hold on to them and think about them and ruminate about them, which means to literally turn it around in your mind over and over and over and over and just let it fester and grow, right? And then you feel more angry and more upset and more bitter, and then you plot to get even, or at least maybe you just laugh and feel smug and satisfied when something bad happens to them. Well, that's something I think we all struggle with, right? This, 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 and this sets us up for disappointment. This, this dichotomy in our lives. Because, because on the one hand, we want deep, satisfying happiness in our lives. We want to experience blessedness in our lives. You know, the one that Jesus is talking about in this list here. But on the other hand, we want to foster these deep-seated resentments towards other people. And the problem is, is that these things are incompatible, Jesus said, blessed, deeply happy are the merciful, those who are full of mercy, those who exhibit mercy, those who forgive, those are the ones that are blessed, not the bitter, not the reviling, not the ones nursing grudges, and certainly not the unforgiving. You all want to be happy. You all want to be blessed. But it's a contradiction in terms to desire happiness at the same time, refuse to be merciful and forgiving. 
And the Bible really has a lot to say about this subject of forgiving and mercy. James chapter 2 verse 13 says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Luke 6.36 says, Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 3.13, Bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You see, there's a general expectation in the Bible that if you are a follower of Christ, if you belong to Jesus, right, then you are to be merciful and forgiving, that you are to exhibit mercy. And Jesus makes it clear, right, that, that being merciful, walking in forgiveness leads to deep happiness and blessedness. That is why he, said, he says this, that blessed are the merciful. Now, I realize that many of you would, would say to me, well, you just don't know. You just don't know how they hurt me. You don't know what they did to me in my life, right? You don't know what they did to my family. You don't know how they affected my job and my livelihood. That you don't know how they ruined things for me. And you don't know how deep the pain is that they caused me. They don't deserve it. They don't deserve mercy. They don't deserve my forgiveness. And you're right. I I don't know. I don't know what they did to you. I don't know how they hurt you. And you're also right. They don't deserve it. They don't. Right? They don't deserve your mercy. They don't deserve your forgiveness. But here's the thing that you have to come to terms with and understand. If they deserved it, then it wouldn't be mercy. So let that sink in for a little bit. If they deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. You see, the Greek word for merciful comes from the the Greek word... uh, uh, elios, which is translated as mercy. And this word elios brings with it the idea of compassion. Right? It comes with this definition of the idea of, of a readiness, an internal readiness to help those who are in trouble, to help the helpless. Now what you have to understand, in the, you know, what we, we understand this word in a sense of being kind to people and good to those who are helpless... Right? It's like feeding the hungry and, and, and clothing the naked and comforting the brokenhearted. But what we have to understand about this word is this word carries with it no idea of deserving. There's no sense of, 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 of deserving in this idea of mercy. You don't help the helpless because they deserve it. You help the helpless because they require mercy. You help the helpless... Because you're compassionate, not because they deserve it. Now, you might be thinking, wait a minute, what are you talking about? I want you to hear me out on this. We've seen it even in our practical ways in the world around us. Not when people hurt us, but just practical ways. Like oftentimes there are people who are poor and hungry and who need food. And they're that way because of the choices that they've made and are making right now. And in a sense, they are where they are and they deserve to be hungry because they spend their money on alcohol instead of food. They spend their money on drugs instead of food. They spend their money on tattoos and piercings and iPhones, but they don't have enough money to get food for their kids. And so really it's their fault that they are hungry. They don't deserve help. They're helpless because of their own choices. But, but do we still help people like that? Of course we do. Why? Not because they deserve it, but because we're compassionate. We're merciful as our father is merciful. We don't deserve his mercy. 
We don't deserve his compassion. In fact, one year we had, we had uh, some parents uh, put in an application for Toys for Tots. It's one of my favorite programs, by the way, that we do here. We love giving toys to kids. But, but they put in an application and they said, well, it's, it's tight this year, so we don't have the money for that, you know, for toys. And, so, and we're like, fine. You know, we, we don't turn people away for that. But it was just interesting to me. The very same weekend I got that application, one of the parents was at a Raider game. And he's buying souvenirs and drinking beers. And I'm thinking, there's money for all that, but you don't have money for, for, you know. Now, did we help the family? Of course. Was it a deserving situation? No. Why did we do it? Because we're compassionate. Right? We show mercy that way. You see, <laughs> mercy has nothing to do with being deserving. In fact, it's the opposite Mercy is given to those who don't deserve it. That's the whole point. The dictionary defines mercy as compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or to harm. That's what mercy is. Mercy, by definition, is extended to the undeserving. And in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells us a story that perfectly illustrates this point. Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 21, it says... Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And Peter's asking like, all right, how many times am I supposed to be merciful to my brother who keeps wronging me? He just keeps, he just keeps hurting me. He just keeps doing, I mean, is seven times enough? Because that's kind of like the Jewish idea. You forgive someone seven times and you wash your hands from them. You know what I mean? Obviously they're, they're, you know. And Jesus says, not seven times, but 77 times. Now you have to understand, you don't want to get hung up on that 77 times. Because what, that, what he's literally saying here is, as many times as it takes. Every time you forgive them. Every time you show mercy. Right? Your mercy should never be limitless. Is really what Jesus is, is saying here. And then, it, and then Jesus goes on and tells his story to kind of illustrate that point. He says, therefore... The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And he began to settle one. uh, He began to settle. One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, this right here is a perfect example of why we study context. Because if you do not know what 10,000 talents is referring to in this text here, you will miss the point. 10,000 talents that Jesus is talking about here is the equivalent to 75,000 pounds of silver. All right? That's the debt that this guy owed. 75,000 pounds of silver. And if you want to know what that means, it's like $153 million in our current economy. All right? So now we're going to get a picture now of how big this guy's debt is. All right? So Jesus is saying there's this guy that owed this king $150 million. And the king is like, okay, it's time to settle accounts. Time to pay up. And then verse 25 says, And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment be made. You see, the collateral for this debt was not just just his stuff, but it was also his life and the life of his family and his kids. And they were all to be sold as slaves so that the king could at least recover a little portion of that debt. This man was in deep debt by his own actions and he was now completely helpless as a result. And so this servant 
fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I'll repay you everything. Which is a ridiculous statement because there's no possible way this guy's going to repay this, this debt. But out of pity, notice this, out of pity or compassion for him, the master of the servant re- released him and forgave him the debt. You can't miss what he's saying here, right? This guy was in debt beyond his eyeballs. It was an unfathomable debt. And it was his own fault he was there, right? What he deserved was the worst case scenario, which means that he was sold into slavery forever, right? And the king was compassionate and, and to this truly helpless man. And he didn't give him what he deserved, but instead he forgave him in spite of what he deserved. And understand, this wasn't like a little minor like insult on Facebook, Okay, this is a debt of one hundred and fifty million dollars. This is a gigantic deal. But that's what mercy is. That's what mercy is about. Mercy has never been about what a person deserves. Mercy is in spite of what a person deserves. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. Well, the king just gave up one hundred and fifty million dollars. How? Was he blessed? Well, he's blessed because Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And in this story, we see that the opposite is also true. Because those who are not merciful are not blessed. In fact, in verse 28 says, And when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is like a couple hundred bucks. All right? And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. And so the fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, just like he did. Have patience with me and I will pay you. Which is, you know, really could have been done. It's just a couple hundred bucks, right? But he refused and went and put him into prison until he should repay the debt. He refused to extend mercy to his fellow servant over a couple hundred bucks. He'd been forgiven this gigantic, unpayable debt, right? But he couldn't, re- he couldn't forgive this little tiny debt that really could have been repaid. When his, when his fellow servants saw him, saw that had this taken, taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him, saying to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. You begged me and I was compassionate to you. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I've had mercy on you? I mean, this doesn't add up to me. I had mercy on you. I gave, forgave this $150 million debt. But you have the nerve, you have the gall to not forgive somebody of a couple hundred bucks. Are you kidding me? And his anger, and in his anger, he... His master delivered him up to the jailers until he could pay, until he should pay all his debt. Blessed are the merciful, but not the unmerciful. In fact, Jesus follows this statement up with this. He says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. <laughs> this is a startling and very staggering um, statement. Jesus said, if you don't forgive your, your brother, and this is in this context, he's actually talking about Christians. But if you don't forgive your brother, if you don't show mercy to your brother, then God's going to punish you. That's what he says. I mean, there's no getting around that, right? 
As uncomfortable as that may feel, there's no getting around what these words are communicating here. But what is Jesus really getting at here? And what does this have to do with being blessed and being merciful and receiving mercy? Well, let me just get something out of the way right up front. What Jesus is, is not talking about is salvation in the sense that you have to show mercy to be saved. That's not what he's saying here. Because the fact of the matter is you are saved by grace through faith alone, in Christ alone, irrespective of your ability to be merciful. In fact, there are lots of people who receive God's grace and mercy and become children of God who carry with them a lot of baggage and a lot of grudges against their enemies. And it takes time for them to grow to become merciful. They don't start off merciful. They grow into becoming merciful. So... We're, we're not talking about a salvation issue with respect to being merciful before you can be saved. And we're not talking about losing your salvation if you struggle to show mercy. What we're talking about is a fruit issue here. Like we talked about last week. Remember, righteous, righteousness is to be merciful. And to hunger for righteousness is to hunger to be... To hunger for righteousness is to hunger to be someone who is merciful. Right? To hunger to be merciful is a God-given hunger, a God-given need to those who come into a relationship with Him. Because you cannot hunger for mercy or to, to be merciful if you don't have a relationship with God. I mean, you may be able to be merciful at times. There are people who are not saved that can be merciful, but they will not consistently desire it and they will not consistently demonstrate God-honoring mercy without a connection to Him. Because that kind of quality, that merciful quality, flows not from us, but from the one who is in us. Remember, Jesus quite explicitly said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Being merciful, the way Jesus is talking about here, is something... Uh, that you do not to be saved. It's an outworking of the fact that you are saved. Do you understand how that works? As we said last week, you hunger and thirst for righteousness because you hunger and thirst for God who is righteous. Who is merciful, who is pure, who is a peacemaker. You hunger for those things because you hunger for God. And you hunger for God because, because he has made you spiritually alive again. And then you become keenly aware of your need for him. And as you grow and you mature in your faith, your hunger for righteousness will begin to change who you are. You'll become more merciful and pure. And you will desire to make peace with other people. It's the natural outworking of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because when you're saved... Something happens to you. You see, it's not enough to know about the concept of forgiveness. It's not enough to know the Bible stories. It's not enough to have correct theology. You must experience forgiveness. You must experience God's mercy. And it's that experience that moves you to an authentic faith in Christ. In fact, let me put it this way. This parable right here, and we're talking about... God is the king here. And we're the ones with the debt that cannot be repaid. 
A debt that we owe is so great. That's the picture. It's a picture of reality. Because every one of us is a fallen, broken sinner. We have all fallen short of God's righteous standard. Not by a little bit, but monumentally. Our failure is cataclysmic. Our depravity is total. And as a result, our debt to God is greater than we can possibly imagine it to be. But God in His compassion for us, for us who are legitimately helpless, He decided to have mercy on us and He forgave us that debt. Now in that story, the forgiving of the debt is not like, hey, you know, I forgive you. It's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. This forgiveness came at a gigantic cost. Right? $150 million. Okay? I mean, that's enough to ruin like corporations, like major ones. This was a huge sacrifice for this king. And that's the point. <laughs> the debt that we owe is so unimaginable. And for God to forgive the debt that we have would require a gigantic sacrifice. It came at a terrible cost. It cost him the life of his son. The sacrifice that required to forgive us of our sins required a horrific, you know, the horrific suffering and death of Christ on the cross. And the thing that we can't lose sight of is not only did, did, did Jesus, God in the flesh, die this horrific physical death, but in some way we can't even possibly imagine the Father turned His back on the Son as He cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The sacrifice required to set you free from the penalty of your sin is so heart-wrenching and so earth-shadowing that if the knowledge of Christ's suffering doesn't move you, if it doesn't stir you to radical kind of gratitude, if it doesn't compel you to change internally, if it doesn't motivate you to hunger for righteousness and to become more merciful, then there's something fundamentally wrong. That's the issue. You don't become merciful in order to be saved. You become merciful because at some point in your life you came face to face with the horror of your sin, right? And the reality of the suffering that awaits you because of the debt that you've incurred. And the horror of that forces you to your knees as you cry out to God, have mercy on me. I'm helpless. And then God opens your eyes and he shows you the price that he's already paid to set you free. The horrific spectacle of Calvary. And as your heart breaks... For the suffering that Christ went through for you. God then stands you up on your feet and he puts his arms around you. And he puts the robe on you and puts the ring on your finger. And he welcomes you home, not as a slave, not as a conquered enemy, not as a stranger, but a child of the king. He takes out of you that heart of stone and puts in you a heart of flesh. And God, the Holy Spirit, then comes and he lives inside of you and he's guiding you and he's leading you and he's teaching you. And he says he's never going to leave you or forsake you. And you become merciful because God lavishes upon you mercy so incredible and so breathtaking that it literally changes you. You see, the first servant in the story did not actually, he did in fact have his, I mean, his debt was paid for. Right? In fact, the Bible tells us. This is the next slide. God shows his mercy for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The debt was already paid while we were, before we could do anything about it. 
And in this story, the debt was forgiven, but the servant never experienced in his heart that forgiveness. He never lived in the true understanding of what it meant to be forgiven and saved. Right? He didn't understand what he was saved from. Because if he had, his heart would have been moved for, by compassion and been, would have been merciful and forgiving toward his fellow servant. Blessed are the merciful. Why are they blessed? They're blessed because being merciful... They live in the light of what Jesus has done for them. And that mercy they show is an outworking and a confirmation that they are indeed experienced. They've indeed experienced God's mercy and God's forgiveness in their own lives. And living that way, they're rewarded with an abundant outpouring of God's mercy in their everyday lives. Because we don't need mercy one time. We need mercy all the time. We, did, we need mercy every single day. I, Sherman, your pastor, I need God's mercy every single day for the stupid things I do and the stupid things I say. Every day. I sometimes even surprise myself at how quickly I can fall down on my own face. I need God's mercy, not just one time, but every single day. So then who am I to withhold mercy from someone else? See, to be a Christian and to be unmerciful is to live in a double standard. Think about that. God has had mercy on the bazillion of things that you do wrong and all the awful things that you've said and thought about. But then you're not willing to have mercy on the person who's mean to you at work. Come on. It's ridiculous. That's why this story is so graphic. That's why the warning is so strong. Blessed are the merciful. Because being merciful, you demonstrate that you truly are poor in spirit. And you're keenly aware of your sin and you mourn over it. And you're truly meek. Because you set aside your power to hold that grudge or to get even in order to glorify God by being merciful. And you demonstrate that you truly hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful because you have already received mercy and you will continue to receive it forever and ever and ever. As Charles Spurgeon says, God's mercy is so great, you may sooner drain the sea of its water or deprive the sun of its light or to make space too narrow than diminish the mercy of God. Now, in light of that truth, and what do we do with that? What do we do about it? Because if you belong to God... If you are a Christian, you and I both know it is absolutely God's will for your life to be merciful and forgiving. I mean, if you ever come to me and say, hey, you know, pastor, I just want to figure out God's will, to, will for my life. I'm going to tell you, it's to be merciful and forgiving. Right? It's absolutely God's will for your life. And not only that, being merciful is what's best for you. Because you will never fully experience that long-lasting, true blessedness and happiness as long as you carry around with you bitterness in your heart. You have to understand that. Bitterness is the polar opposite of happiness. Like hate is the, the polar opposite of love. And war is the opposite of peace. Trying to experience long-term happiness with unforgiveness in your heart is like trying to find a one-ended stick. It's impossible. Being merciful... Is what's best for you. 
And even more than that, it's what's best for your family. It's what's best for your community and what's best for the world. I mean, we live in a community right now where people have known each other for years who hate each other. They won't talk to each other. They won't look at each other. They've lived in this community for years, but they refuse to speak to one another. Why? Unforgiveness. Just a distinct lack of mercy. If you've been around here very long at all, you know what I'm talking about. Right? People who've lived here for years. You, know, you see it at work, right? You see it at school. And you even see it at Family Dollar. All this hate, this animosity and bitterness, just wasted energy. Mercy, on the other hand, mercy tears down walls. Mercy builds bridges. Mercy creates new avenues of communication. Mercy improves families. It, it, it improves communities. Being merciful is what's best for you. It's what's best for your community and your family. But most importantly, being merciful glorifies God. It glorifies God. Why? Because when you're merciful, you are displaying for the world to see the goodness of God. Because when you're merciful, you're, you are a truly living image of God. You're truly demonstrating Christ-likeness. When you're merciful, you're demonstrating for the world to see that there is in fact a God. And he indeed is good. And he himself is kind and compassionate and loving and merciful. It glorifies God when we live that way. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, a text that's so timely in my own life, a text that reminds me how I have so much growing to do, Lord, grow me here. Help me to walk and be merciful. Help me to lay aside whatever bitterness I might have. Help me, Lord God, to keep short accounts you're merciful to me every single day. Let me extend that to my neighbor. Let me extend that to those that are around me that frustrate me. And may we all be like that. May we all walk in that, Lord God. Our community desperately needs that. Our world needs that. In our world right now, we're treating people so ugly. We have differences of political opinions and we just hate each other for it. We have differences of, of philosophical ideas and we hate each other for it. We have, a, we have a country that's tearing itself apart inside out because of a hate and unforgiveness and just a distinct lack of mercy. Father, glorify yourself and raise up in this church of people who desire you so desperately, who desire and hunger for righteousness so desperately that they would just instinctively desire to be merciful. And that you would use that then to glorify yourself in front of this community. And that you would change this community through that. And that you'd raise up a people in here that love you so much that we're willing to go out and share the hope of Christ. The only hope that we have. And that this little town would become a beacon of hope for the rest of the world to see. Make us all merciful, Lord, in your image. Help us to walk in that. Help us to live it. Because you are worthy. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. 
Man, I never lose sight of that as I get self-righteous and I start to hang on to things. May I never lose sight of the cost that's, that, that it took to set me free. And may I be quick to give mercy and forgive. We love you. We praise you. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.